Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Drone Insights and Technology, a Connexicore podcast. We are going to be talking about real-world topics that will uncover the business of commercial drones and the applications that drive this exciting market. Your host for the series is Frank Segarra, CEO and founder of Connexicore, one of the leading industry drone service providers. With each episode, we will be talking with industry thought leaders about how commercial drones are being used right now in all types of vertical markets to save time, save money, and keep workers safe. And now, with no further ado, is our host, Frank Segarra. All right, greetings, and welcome to another episode of Drone Insights and Technology, a podcast by Connexicore. I'm your host, Frank Segarra, and I'd like to thank our audience for joining us today to learn more about commercial drone applications and the technology that is driving their widespread adoption. Today, we're going to do a deep dive on how drones are being utilized for commercial property condition assessments. Our guest today is the Senior Vice President of Operations with Property Condition Assessments, LLC. Tom is a 40-year executive leadership veteran with experience in both large and small organizations from manufacturing, construction, generalist assessor, and related operations. Good afternoon, Tom. Hi, Frank. Thanks. How are you doing today? I'm good. Awesome. Tom, I'm pretty stoked for today's conversation, but I must ask you first, how are you feeling about all the international travel over the last few months? <laughs> Well, you do what you got to do, you know, and uh, the the changing requirements in different countries for COVID-related matters is something we just have to keep up with when we're doing international travel. With some places a quarantine for three days and some it's 14 days and there's testing and all that. So you just got to do what you got to do in this era. Exactly, you know? exactly. And I know that you have an interesting project to talk about uh, as we get into the interview. Uh, Tom, give us a little background on PCA and what your role in the organization is. Okay, well, I'm the senior vice president of operations. So basically, I'm responsible for scheduling, uh, staffing, all the field staff operations and the reporting process. That What I don't have is things like sales and finances. So operations is getting the work done, I guess. And how long has PCA been around? PCA has been in business for well over 20 years. Uh, we've got a lot of loyal clients that we've been working with for many, many years within that 20-year span and still do. That's terrific. And Tom, something that I didn't know about you until I read your bio was that you're involved in uh, large-scale construction projects, over a million dollars in Europe, Asia, Australia. How does an old-fashioned Southern boy from Alabama get an opportunity to work with multinational companies, and more interestingly, how did you communicate with the language barrier in this highly communicative industry? Well, I, you know, I've kind of led an interesting life, I guess. Uh, engineering school opened up the, you know, the initial doors for me to get into corporate world, and uh, started off doing engineering. But then, over the years, migrated over into operations and worked my way up, eventually becoming vice president. Of operations in a, you know, a large fortune 500 company. We had operations around the world and we were doing expansions and, um, you know, it just kind of happened one step at a time. And then, uh, later I ended up <clears throat> after I kind of retired from that, I started a second career and ended up in China for eight and a half years. And, uh, that's, that's the, really the one place where the language issue uh, came into being and I ended up with a great translator assistant in China and 
she was kind of at my side for everything we did and wherever we went. But the other countries were, I really never had any language issues. We could operate in English and, and that was not an issue. You know, in the last decade, I spent most of the last decade in, uh, in China and it, it was a serious wow. issue there. Yeah. So that must have been really serious because I know that there are multiple dialects in China and your translator must have taken up half the time to communicate what it was you needed to communicate uh, as part of the operations. Yeah, the, the national language is, is Mandarin, so all business and, and government relations is all conducted in Mandarin, so that helps a lot. But uh, having a translator who can listen to someone else speaking Mandarin and at the same time speak that English into your ear is a really key skill, and it's hard to find. And I ended up with a assistant who over time was able to get to that level of real-time translation, and that really allows you to conduct business uh, much closer to normal English-to-English speaker because the, the translation doesn't slow things up quite so fast. Um, I kind of had similar situation when I was in the Navy, I was actually stationed in the Philippines and traveled through Indonesia, Australia, um, Thailand. And about the only thing I learned how to say is where's the bar and how to hail a cab. (laughs) Yeah, that's some of the first things you learn in any language. Especially in the Navy. Oh, boy. So let's talk about PCA a little bit more. So there's a lot of property condition assessment talk out there today. And I think it's a lot of it gets confused with facilities management, insurance claims. But I know that uh, PCA um, as a as a workflow is really it's everything encompassing. You come in, you do the inspections, you make recommendations on remediation for the fixes, you create budgets. What are the differentiators between PCA and your competitors that are in your marketplace? Because I don't see a whole lot of competitors, at least from what I see, you know, standing as a fly on a wall. Yeah, well, first of all, you're right that there's there's sort of a connection between what we do with the condition assessment and uh, property management, uh, because a lot of what we do is providing inputs to clients that they're going to use in their future property management. But you know, where we believe we're differentiated is there are a number of companies who use an ASTM standard and go out and do assessments and write reports. But, you know, we've been doing this for well over 20 years. And the team, our management team, is sort of a combination of architectural and engineering expertise, along with real estate and business backgrounds. And so we have a a strong partnership relationship with our clients, uh, especially Uh, Many of our clients are in the process of purchasing a particular piece of commercial property. And our experience being in that role or similar role and understanding what they need and what is their process and understanding their tight timelines, we think really is a differentiator for us. We look at ourselves as partners with our client to drive a transaction to closure and our clients hopefully think of us as partners. That certainly know many of them do. The ones that we do a lot of work for uh, keep coming back because they do view us as not just, you know, hired guys to go in and do an assessment, but really 
partners and what they're trying to accomplish. And I think that's where we have the big advantage. Now, you, you mentioned ASTM compliant. I, explain to our listeners what that means. Well, there is an ASTM standard that describes doing condition assessment. And that standard came into place, oh, I'm not sure, I'm guessing maybe 10 years ago or something like that. And when you have a public standard like that, then people can look at that standard and go, oh, yeah, I can do that. And they just follow that recipe to generate reports. And, uh, of course, we were doing this before that standard even existed. And what we do, we believe, is significantly beyond that standard. I mean, it's a good standard, but it it basically specifies you should look at this and decide this. And you should look at this and decide this kind of a recipe. And we take a much more holistic approach to managing our part of the client's project. And do you foresee drones needing to adhere to those types of standards, uh, ASTM, in the future? Well, as of right now, I, I don't think there's anything in those standards that would have a direct impact on how drones would operate. I mean, the drones, the drone system, uh, you know, it's a tool for collecting information that's, you know, way beyond, in many cases, way beyond what we can do with boots on the ground. It doesn't replace that, but it's an addition to it. And so I don't really think it, there's going to be any ASTM standard for drone survey work. I, maybe I'm wrong, but in, in my estimation, uh, I don't sure. think it will. And the reason I ask is I'm, I myself, I sit on the PA Drone Association Board of Advisors, and that acronym ASTM has come up several times in some of the legislative talks that we've been having uh, within our state. So I was curious to know what your what your fix on it was. Yeah, you know, I might be yeah. wrong. I'm not tightly connected with ASTM sure. processes, but right now with what's there, you know, what we do is compliant with okay. ASTM, obviously, but it's it's way beyond that already. Right. So it's not something we really worry okay. about a lot, to be honest. And at a high level, what's, what is the PCA workflow? Like, where does it start? Is it inside? Is it outside? Do you recommend remediation? Do you budget for the things that you find? Kind of describe what your typical workflow is, uh, at least here in America. I know that in other countries that you've worked with, uh, there are other workflows, but you know your traditional workflow here in America, maybe at a school or a campus, what does that workflow look like? Yeah, okay. So quite often our client is the buyer in a commercial real estate transaction. They're buying an office building or they're buying a medical office building or a shopping mall or a multifamily, you know, apartment building or apartment campus, whatever the case may be. And they're, they're the buyer and they will contact us. Of course, we stay in touch with lots and lots of clients all the time. And they uh, contact us usually as they're completing their formal purchase offer so that they're ready. As soon as they get the property under contract, they can give us the go. So then uh, with a little information from the client, we look at what are the attributes of this particular property and what does the client need and want. And we work out a scope of services. uh, And usually that takes no more than several hours or a day to settle on exactly what range of scope of services that we need to provide. Uh, We schedule a team of experts and uh, 
organize a site visit. So they descend on the site and depending on the size of the site, anywhere from a short day to four, five, six days on a site, uh, review everything. And then as soon as the site visit is over, we then put together a very detailed report and it includes, uh, it will answer your, your earlier question. It's inside and outside. It's everything. Usually it's all of the architectural systems, all of the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, fire and life safety, uh, vertical transportation. If there are elevators and escalators, roofing assessments, it's pretty much the whole thing. So when the site visits over, we immediately start putting together the detailed report and it has recommendations for things that need to be corrected or upgraded, uh, remediation items, and forward-looking probable costs. So for instance, we may look at a roof and say, well, this roof is okay right now with a little more maintenance, but we anticipate in about eight years, you're going to need to replace the roof. Or we look at a building that has 60 different air conditioning systems and they're of different ages. Well, we, we project at what point do those systems reach the end of their useful life and then project the cost of replacing those. And so, and then, so that's our probable cost analysis. Um, and then at the last part is we provide a pretty significant bulk of photographic representations of both. This is what the property looks like. These are typical examples. And then also, uh, photographs that will show and describe a particular uh, remediation that's sure. needed. The clients are usually on a really tight schedule because once they, you know, once they've uh, closed on the contract, then they're on a tight uh, schedule for escrow. So, you know, that's why they depend on us to return these, turn these reports around and get them back to them within a few work days, usually within no more than seven work days after we've left the site. So time and an expedient uh, inspection is um, is is key in your industry. Well, absolutely, uh, but that's not the only keys. I mean, the third piece is accuracy and completeness. And let's say that you know the client's purchasing a, a piece of commercial property, and we go in and assess it, and we miss something really, really big. Uh, you know, a major structural problem. Uh, you know, totally missed it on the roof. If we were to do that, then obviously that creates a big problem with the clients and can really, you know, throw a monkey wrench into the transaction and everything else. And so, you know, we got to get it right. So the clients don't pay us just to be fast, but they do pay us to get it right because it's critically important. And how do you see drone technology improving your deliverables? I know the answer to that. What is your... (laughs) perception of how you see this uh, evolving for improving your uh, deliverables? Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, a year or two ago, I thought of drones as uh, like cool things that make nice pictures and videos, but the world has changed a lot. My world has changed a lot. Um, and at the risk of being a little bit long winded, I think what's happened in about three or four areas of technology advancement have all converged and, and done so in a really powerful way. First of all, it's the drones themselves. Uh, you know, these are not just like cool toys anymore. These are flying platforms that are 
industrialized and they have automated flight programs. They capture real-time GPS data in three dimensions. And so the drones themselves are really quite advanced from, you know, the toys you would think of several years ago. I think the second technology is, is pretty obvious is digital camera technology. You know, the, what we can do now, what we have access to in terms of both resolution of digital photography and the size and weight of the cameras. So, you know, you, you can put a very small lightweight camera on a drone that'll give you amazing resolution now in ways that was unimaginable, certainly 10 years ago. And then, then the third piece is the ability to integrate what comes out of the drone and the camera system. So thousands of images plus the GPS data to integrate all that and then use the software to do analysis. So to look at those images and find things like defects on a roof, defects in a brick facade that's 40 stories high, you know, defects on a curtain wall, um, or alternatively to, to take the data and create a three-dimensional topology for an entire site. So the, one of the things that I've told a few clients recently is, you know, the drone is just a platform to carry the camera and do data acquisition. The magic in all of this is what happens after the drone leaves the site with all the data sure. processing and, and what you can generate sure. for that. And it's how that, that data is presented. Um, is it, is it going to be actionable data for the client or is it just fluff? Now, the other way, I mean, the way this can help us is in, in certain circumstances, you know, with the drone technology that we have available to us right now, we can offer the clients a 100% assessment of a building facade or a curtain wall. For example, you, let's say you've got a multi, you know, big, big building, and the only way to get a, without a drone, the only way to get a real good look at curtain walls or, or facades is maybe to drop a guy down off the roof. And then you're only going to really get a sampling that way. And some clients may be based on the building or the history of the building or the age of the building. They may be more interested in a hundred percent assessment. And that's just not really realistic with a guy dropping from a roof. But with a drone, you can do that. You fly the drone in the pattern and you know this better than I do, you know, up and down and back and forth and, and, do a really uh, a high resolution imaging of, you know, every square inch of a facade or a curtain wall or a roof. Same thing actually on roofs where you can't get access to roofs. So, you know, that's something we can offer clients now that we couldn't do in the past. Uh, we can also offer topology mapping from the drone system. So if someone's got a large site, and they want to understand the slopes and the drainage, or maybe they have to do some some grading, and they want to really understand what do they need to do with a grading plan. You know, the 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 drone capabilities today allow us to offer this kind of stuff in a way that that we really didn't do five sure. ten years ago. Yeah. Certainly. So so it's safe to say that you could utilize a drone technology for you know truly a hundred percent of the building envelope. Yeah, we have. And now, you know, honestly, not every project right. warrants that. Uh, but having this tool in our toolkit to offer the clients is what's, you know, the, the, 
the value that the new drone technology brings to us in this right, environment. Right. We found in certain cities, you need a licensed engineer to actually go out there and get a core sample or or get an up-close view of where the problem is, what the problem is, and do their analysis. But there's such a an enormous logistical uh, workflow that's involved in just getting, like you said, harnesses and uh, scaffolds and whatnot. Where I see the drones helping out is besides just uncovering what the potential problem is, is that geolocation, like you said, the geotagging of, you know, if you have a million square feet of building facade or roofing and you find a really bad problem where there's water, water infiltration that you're not seeing with the naked eye, maybe you're seeing it thermographically, uh, that drone can actually pinpoint that GPS location and actually provide the engineer a spot to go take that core sample versus going and doing all the searching from scratch. That's how I see it kind of benefiting. Do you see it the same way? Yeah, I do. And like I said, it varies by property. You know, uh, the bigger properties and the older properties are much more likely to need that kind of thing than, you know, a three-year-old, almost brand new property. But in there are a lot of circumstances and a lot of transactions. Uh, I think the, the drone just brings us a whole new capability sure, that we sure. haven't had in the past. So do you do have any interesting projects that you can speak to where drones were used to improve your deliverables, uh, you know, from small to large? Well, what types of projects have you worked on that are uh, newsworthy? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's take two sort of polar opposites once. Uh, so, uh, the small example would be assessing townhomes in New York City. And some of those cases uh, in New York City, like, for instance, in Brooklyn, there are some cases we can't get any reasonable kind of roof access. And the client really wants a roof assessment because that's an important potential cost. Uh, and all, another place on those is facades um, and cornices. So a lot of these buildings were constructed anywhere from, let's say, the late 1880s into the 1930s and 1940s. And the facades have been there for a long, long time. And uh, brownstone, if they've used brownstone, which a lot of that was used, the brownstone doesn't last forever. There have been some really high profile uh, building failures in New York where big hunks of facade and cornice basically fall, shears off the building. Uh, and lands on the sidewalk. And unfortunately, there's been some uh, fatalities and serious injuries. So there's been a lot of focus on that in New York. Well, if you're in a residential neighborhood and trying to do this assessment of uh, facades and cornices, and in some cases, roofs where you can't get access, um, we found that the drone was like almost the only solution because the only real alternatives are we're not going to, we normally wouldn't send people up on extension ladders to do this. It's just not safe enough. So you got to get a boom lift, which in a lot of these neighborhoods, it's not an option. Can't bring in a boom lift, not going to happen uh, for various reasons or put up scaffolding. And that's often not an option either, because when you start putting up scaffolding in a multifamily on the front of a multifamily residential area, you know, the, the tenants can't stay there sure. anymore, and that's just not acceptable. So 
kind of rule out the other alternatives. And fortunately, there's an alternative that's not one of those, which is to use a drone. And so that um, on some properties and uh, we were able to, you know, turn that around within the normal, very short time frame, have the data we need, have the information we need and even have some, you know, outstanding high res photography to show to the client. And the clients have made some really critical decisions about these properties based on uh, sure. doing it that way. And we were able to do it in, you know, three, four days instead of getting permits and putting up scaffolding and all that, which is weeks and weeks and weeks, you know. And by then, the you know, the clock has struck midnight for the transaction. And being from so the New York area, possible. I know that those brownstones, especially in some of the boroughs, um, literally may only have a 40-foot frontage before they butt up against the left and the right next property. So you have people coming in and out of that front right. door who live there. And um, I, I can see the property owners definitely having no clue to what's actually going on on the roof unless they physically either get up there or they, um, like you said, put a scaffold, a ladder, swing lift, whatever. But we've seen now what the drone photos have shown on top of these roofs. Uh, some of them are a mess. And a lot of it is camouflage. You can't see it from the ground. It's impossible for sure. Right, right. So you asked, you asked me about examples, uh, small and large. Let's go to the other extreme. So the second example would be a really big one. And we just did, as you well know, with Connexacore in uh, the Caribbean. Uh, it's a university campus in St. Kitts, well over 50 acres. And we had a lot of deliverables that the client needed there. Um, and one of the key things was this campus sits on a hillside and they've got a number of drainage issues and they're planning to do some new construction. And so they needed a 3D uh, topology map. And we were able to do that by flying a drone instead of having surveyors out there for weeks and weeks and weeks. Basically, one day of the drone flying and then all the magic of the data processing and boom, they have a CAD model of the entire 50 something acre site. Secondly, there was well over 30 buildings and some of them we didn't have uh, roof access. In fact, most of them we did not have uh, roof access to. And so we were able to fly roof assessment missions and once again, flying the program and the drone takes the, all the photos and then they get assembled digitally back home and using the Connexacore cloud, we can get at all that information, including all of the points of interest and defects and problems that were found in all those roofs and transmit that directly to the client. And the third thing is uh, they had got a big architect team working on the future uh, master plan for this campus and they wanted some aerial video footage kind of to fly between the buildings and get a feel for, let's call it the look and feel and environment of the campus. And so we flew uh, that kind of stuff and put together some video footage for them. And uh, they're reviewing that. We've had uh, calls this week and it's been really quite helpful uh, in a number of ways. Uh, I was uh, doing a review with a client earlier this week and wanted to show them some specific things where I was suggesting they pay attention to certain things and I could pull out the video, a couple of the videos and scroll mm. through and I go, here it is right here. Yeah. And 
So it worked great. And all of that stuff, all three of those deliverables, uh, the 3D topology, the 100% roofing assessment, and the video footage is stuff that's kind of above and beyond sure, what our normal sure. assessment process is. So we, underneath all this, we did our normal assessment with architectural and engineering resources, and then we were able to add these set of deliverables on the top. So you want it small and large. On the small end, those uh, New York properties are typically 1,800 square feet of land. And the other, the campus we did was well over 50 acres of land. So yes, and that was an amazing job. Range. And what I found really unbelievable about that, um, despite COVID, the actual field time doing the mapping and doing the roofing and doing the video it really equated to about two days, uh, two and a half days of actual uh, mission time for the drone. Uh, the biggest setback, and this is in the day of COVID here, was the you know fourteen day incubation period or um, what is that quarantine period? Yes, quarantine. Everyone yeah. was quarantined, but at the end <clears throat> of the day, uh, a full engineering group and an architectural group didn't have to physically be out there. For that project, uh, it was a fairly small team, your team, our team. Uh, we were able to get that real-time data, the video uh, back. And if it wasn't for COVID, we would have been, you know, back and forth within four or five days versus almost three weeks uh, with the quarantine issues. But I'm sure that's all going to start to taper as the vaccine starts to kick in and um, everyone's going through it. You know, it's impacting all businesses. Yeah, that's, and it impacts our clients as well. I mean. Had the, the the you know the government's requirement was 14 days of quarantine and two more tests uh, coming in, but they also on this campus were using part of the campus as a quarantine facility for uh, students and others coming in, so it was restricting our access to some of their buildings anyway. So yeah, the the COVID thing threw a lot of curveballs at this project, but you know in the end. We had a plan. We tweaked and tuned the plan as we went. And, you know, once we all got cleared, the full team, once we got cleared from quarantine with all our testing and then we swooped onto the site and then, you know, five or six days. And, and actually, the, as you said, the drone part of it was less than that. But in five or six days, we were able to, to finish all of our own site work on a 50 acre campus with 38 something buildings. Um, yeah, I have to say to I was jealous because, boy, what a duty. Um, three days of work and 14 days of just basically sitting around your hotel and sitting on the beach in quarantine, sucking down margaritas. What a life. <laughs> uh, uh, totally wrong. Okay. If that's your model of what we were doing in quarantine, then it's a big mistake. Uh, the client delivered literally a truckload of uh, drawings, construction drawings to the hotel where we were. And so there was an extra room where I was staying and that entire room was filled a foot deep with drawings, the beds, the floors, everything. So we were reviewing drawings, reviewing other information, preparing a lot of, you know, pre-work before we got on the site to maximize the efficiency of the time that we were on the site. So <laughs> no, we weren't sitting around on the beach. Tom, one last I question I need that. to ask you, what's your handicap and when are we going to play golf together? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's 13.4, and I don't know. <laughs> we definitely have to uh, make those arrangements as uh, time goes on here, for sure. 
All right, Tom. Well, I'd like to thank you personally for joining us uh, on this episode of Drone Insights and Technology. And I personally value your thought leadership and wish you the best of luck moving forward with us and with your business. I want to thank our audience today for listening to you and hope you all found it educational and informative. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure you go subscribe. That way you can stay up to date with the latest insights in the drone industry. Remember, head over to connectsacord.com for more information about us and what it is that we do. And of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. But until then, I've been your host today, Frank Segarra, and thank you for listening. Goodbye. We hope that everyone has enjoyed and learned something on this episode of Drone Insights and Technology. And until next time, please remember, it's not about the drone, it's about the data.